noise going on so it's it's a guest it's the guest slapping cracking i didn't tell him to be quiet though so that's on me it doesn't really matter we don't care we don't we don't worry about all that professionalism stuff we just keep it real here at doctrine and devotion my name is joe thorne i am the lead pastor of redeemer fellowship in st charles illinois uh jimmy fofo fowler uh, an executive pastor here at redeemer cannot make it he was actually trying to make it for this conversation with this brother he i checked in with him and uh, he just can't do it he's got uh, work and all kinds of uh, wheeling and dealing going on uh but we do have the krista mcdude also known as David Hughes. What's up, David? Krista McDude. Do you know Krista McDunn? She yeah. is. Oh, oh, God. oh, I get it. Okay, I see. Yeah, that yeah. Was, that was clever. It's a deep one. It's a deep one. <laughs> it was. It just uh, it, so Krista McDunn is a licensed uh, professional counselor uh, here at Redeemer Reformed Baptist, uh, and you are uh, a, a Christian counselor, a trauma therapist, and a Reformed Baptist. So uh, you were like yep. our Krista McDude. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, I was gonna say, like you and I, we, we've we've been chatting uh, on on social media for I don't know a couple of years. Is that long? Is a couple that years? Yeah, at least that. Because you guys were in. So I discovered Doc and Diva when you guys were working through the sixteen eighty nine. Okay. Um. So whatever year that was, we started interacting. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm bad at keeping track of time. So, um. So yeah, but it's the first time we've ever spoke. Like we've I get yep. to hear your voice, and you know what? Your voice sounds like you listen to like the Grateful Dead. That's the that's the vibe that I get from you. You have that, that voice. Ma- that makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a stoner voice. I, just to be clear here, <laughs> it, I'm not saying that you are a stoner. I know you're not. Uh, I'm just saying you have that voice. Yeah. Right. Well, as I as I said before when we were exchanging texts, my uh, my condolences that Doc and Devo has hit the bottom of the guest list, you have smelly deadheads on your show. Well, uh, I, it, you can't <laughs> smell the patchouli from here. It, like you, it, it's coming through the screen. Uh, I'm just glad you, you took off your tie dye and uh, your fake dreadlocks. You got uh, <laughs> to keep it professional. Yeah. Well, because yeah. you, 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 know, you are a professional. Now you're, you're a Christian counselor and mm-hmm. I've, it's one of the reasons I've always like really liked uh, reading your, your tweets because um you know, you care about people, uh, you care about truth, uh, but, you know, with, with all of your, with your theological background, with the way that your mind works, um, you're always thoughtful and careful in your interactions with people. In fact, one of the, one of the things that I remember you, you messaged me about years ago, um, I said something like, oh, this person got triggered, and you were like, just so you know. Like, this is the proper use of that term. You know, there's a, there's a better way to use it, you know. And I was like, oh, I was using it in, like, the pop culture way. And you were really cool about it. You're like, no, I understand. It's fine. Like, no hate. Um, but, like, like I like nuance. I know that that's mocked today. But I like nuance and being careful with our words. Yeah. And, th- well, so here's the th- This is just a pattern that happens, right? Because I have the same uh, license that Krista has. We call it licensed clinical mental health counselor. But same thing. Um, and anytime something leaves the realm of research and goes to the practitioner level and then finds its way, let's say into, I don't know, uh, some edition of a very popular magazine dealing with issues today around psychology, Mm -hmm. something like that. Okay. Um, That magazine will publish a bunch of articles on the thing 
And those articles are aimed at lay people. They're right. not written in research language. And then those things find their way into the common vernacular, whether that's being triggered, for example, having a flashback triggered, which trauma survivors often do, or anything, mindfulness, narcissism, mm -hmm. how many unknown things are actually trauma responses. And now you see these like TikTok gurus that are like, are you super organized? That's a trauma response. Are you super <laughs> disorganized? That's trauma. No. The reason I have a, a credential of working with you know, trauma and resilience in the nervous system. The reason it takes three years to learn is because it's more, it's more nuanced than that. Anyway, right? you mean so. you need to learn more than a 1500 word article? Yeah. Oh. you do. Oh. <laughs> Cause I was feeling like an expert. I, I read a, I read a couple of articles. Okay. I skimmed them and uh, I, I read the headlines, but the point is <laughs> I really felt like I was ready to, to dive into the deep end with that knowledge base. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people are, a lot of people do. <laughs> Um, and so the next step, Joe, is you need to start creating some memes, get a TikTok okay. account, and become a coach. You yes. You don't have to do anything. Just call mm. yourself a coach. Yeah. Don't need a license for that. No. <laughs> you just, no, you don't. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, we've seen that. And that's one of the things that, like, you know, pastors sometimes talk about this. Um, mm -hmm. Professors, I know, I would imagine, I don't know, talk about this. But like, uh, especially in the Christian world, but I, I see it, like you said, I see it on TikTok. I, the one that I remember was everybody talking about narcissism. That was a thing for like a while where like, oh, this mm -hmm. is, and it's like not, okay, even I, I wouldn't know, but I know like you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then yeah. I see these actual counselors come on and go, hey guys, um, you, you don't understand narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder or whatever it is. Let me unpack it for you. And so stop doing that because you're confusing people. But one of the things that I, I've noticed um, that I continue to see is that you know, everybody's an expert. Like in the church, mm -hmm. everybody's an expert and every opinion is equal. Every opinion carries equal weight um, because priesthood of the believer, which is not even the thing. It's the priesthood of all believers, but whatever. Um, and, uh, and so it's like, well, I got my Bible and my opinion is as valid as anybody else's. And the reality is it's not. Not everybody's opinion is valid. Um, so I like people who actually give themselves to their discipline and study and read and develop and grow uh, over time. And, you know, you're a, you're a good example of that. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about specifically is why is trauma being talked about more today than I ever remember it being talked about uh, in my lifetime. And what does it mean to be a trauma therapist? Which I know that's what you are in part. Um, yeah. So maybe we start with that. What is a trauma therapist? And then why is, are, is it getting so much play? I don't mean that in a negative sense uh, right. today. Yeah. So, okay. So let me start with the trauma therapist thing because technically like that's not a discrete thing. Like there's not a credential that makes you a trauma therapist. There are credentials that can make you, for example, a certified clinical trauma professional or something like that. Um, well, the reason I say uh, that I'm a trauma therapist is because when I was in my first semester of grad school, um, I was like in my bio talking about how I like, I was into resilience because I taught resilience in the army my first career. Um, and one of my professors was like, Oh, you're into resilience. And we started talking a little bit. He got me introduced to um, a, uh, a type of therapy. And really, it's a field that's kind of emerging of working with the part of your nervous system that's responsible for like your fight flight responses and things okay. like that. Yeah. Um, so I started doing that. It's a three year long credential called somatic experiencing. Um, and so, so because so, I do that somatic, somatic, right? S -O? Like having to do with the body. Yeah, mm -hmm. got it. All right. 
Somatic experiencing. Um, it's it's a brand right now. The field of understanding, and I'll, I'll get into this in the, the second part of your question, but um, the field of how we understand trauma is, is tra- changing significantly. Mm. Um, and so um, <clears throat> I went through that, and because male therapists are uncommon, uh, male trauma therapists with this background are uncommon, and then male trauma therapists who are veterans that work with a lot of first responders, like I have a very, very specific yeah. need, you know? And, and so m- a lot of what I do is trauma work. So that's kind of how I advertise myself. That said, there are other professionals in the field. There's a guy I, I like and follow on, on Twitter. He's a, a professor at University of San Francisco, I think. Um, Jonathan Shudler, he's a psychodynamic guy, Freud, all that kind of stuff. He would say, uh, you shouldn't ever say that. If you're a therapist, you're a therapist. If you know your craft, you know your craft, and you can work with whatever comes to you or learn how to do so. Um, and would be very critical of that. So not everyone in the field even likes that right. definition. But I, I put that in there because that's where a lot of my emphasis in education and training is. And I would imagine also that's helpful. I mean, I don't know what's right in that field, but I do know how people mm-hmm. think. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, if I have a friend who is a veteran, I, I have friends that are veterans who saw crazy stuff. Um, you know, one was a corpsman and uh, mm-hmm. saw everything, sewed everybody up, you know. And, um, he would, he, he would be attracted to see that he would, he would see you say, yeah. Oh, I'm a trauma therapist, a, you know, veteran. He'd be like, that's the guy I want to talk to. So I, right. I would make sense in, on a practical level that, uh, that you would somehow put that out there for people to find you. Yeah. There's a certain amount of, and when I, so I opened my Christian counseling private practice. I was at a regular practice just doing therapy with kind of permission to do Christian counseling. Right. I didn't have a lot of education in it um, or training, uh, but I knew it was something I wanted to be. But that was something as I started that too, again, your, your branding almost becomes a kind of filter. You pull in the people that you're like, this is my ideal client. And you, you filter out the people who would be like, yep, not ever seeing that dude. Yeah. Um, so, but the, the second part of your question yeah. though, you were asking, so why are we hearing so much about trauma, right? Let me why preface is everything let, trauma. Let me preface it too, because I I hear people saying things, and some of them are joking, some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. But I'm definitely I'm fifty, so I mm-hmm. I grew up, and in my family in particular, uh, if you weren't shot at, or shot, or beat with an inch of your life, you didn't you don't have trauma. Stop it, you know. Well, right. now I know that that's not the case now, but that is how a lot of people think. And that's why I'm asking, like, you know, what has, what is the shift, what's happening and is it, is it good? And it does it come with any bad. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> I think probably the most helpful place to start is with the definition, right? So when we talk about trauma, we talk about in an event um, and there are some really good definitions out there. I really should have like had one on hand. I don't. Um, there, there's one that I like out there though, that, that has to do with an adverse event that affects somebody um, physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually mm-hmm. to such an extent that they're not readily able to readapt to their normal level of uh, functioning and kind of internal regulation. Okay, right? got it, yeah. Um, when, when you get into how we diagnose things like PTSD, there are certain kind of presentations we're looking for, but we could start with trauma is something in any of those categories that is, exceeds our capacity to adapt and recover from naturally, right? Um, 
and and so why like why did it become a thing? Well, I would start, and I think uh, the other Krista Mc Krista McDunn would probably start here too uh, at at this um, series of experiments in the '90s that started with a research oops, hmm. which every good bit of research out there starts with a that didn't go the way it was supposed to. Yeah, a lot of inventions too. Yeah, yeah. So the this study which I'll explain in a second, began with, um, I think it was like a weight loss program. And they were researching some things. They noticed that all the people who were dropping out had some similar life events early on. All these people who weren't able to like achieve physical health or had certain types of struggles with physical or psychological health all seemed to have these negative adverse childhood events. So it spawned a series of, uh, it spawned some research uh, that began at the University of Stanford um, that was called the Adverse Childhood Event, or ACEs study. And what they found was they tracked people across decades, and they found that the number of adverse childhood experiences a person would have early on, that includes things like abuse, it includes things like divorce, it includes things like the death of a loved one, um, any other major kind of social change that reorganized the child's sense of safety in their world, um, would not only was not only correlated with psychological problems, relational problems and addictions, but physical problems hmm. like cancer and heart disease. Really? And there was a very strong correlation, um, mortality rates. Um, and so they started looking more and more and we started researching, okay, so how is it that these core events in our lives, which really just seem kind of circumstantial, and it seems like the normal person goes through a hard time and you learn your lessons from it, you take your licks, and you grow up. You just kind of move on, right? You get married, you have family. And, and, and how is it that these things are still affecting these people psychologically, relationally, bodily, decades down the road? And over the last couple of decades, um, we found that trauma is actually much more neurological hmm. than we previously thought. Um, that part of our nervous system that God designed to a, do all the stuff we don't have time to worry about, like keep your heart beating. Yeah. And B, take care of your survival responses. Um, its job is to mobilize huge amounts of energy. It's called your autonomic nervous system very quickly. And then do stuff with that, like choke out a mountain lion. Or I heard a story about a hiker that did that in the Northwest. I was like, man, I've met some pretty, like, <laughs> pretty tough dudes in the Army. I've never met anyone that tough, right? Or like, you know, you hear the story about a mom lifting a car off her baby. You yeah. think, her muscles aren't physically, she's not that big. That didn't come from her muscles. That's not glycogen. That's how much energy the sympathetic branch of your nervous mm. system can mobilize quickly. So we're learning all these things about trauma across time and its health effects. We're learning all these things about our bodies and trauma. And what, what I said earlier, when something goes from the research, the practitioner level into a popular magazine and then finds its way to the common vernacular, um, the... When I started my training in this somatic therapy, somatic experiencing in early 2017, um, people were, the people who were teaching me were like, in five, six years, everybody's going to be doing this and talking about this. And that has an upside because you're like, great, I'm ahead of the bell curve. Like, I'm, I'm, I got my niche. I, I can, you know, yeah. go in there and be. Like, I'm one of two Christian practitioners in the triangle that I'm aware of that has this cred credential. Wow. There's two of us. Um, and so... Hey, you know, that's great. Now, the downside to that is there are a lot of these quote unquote experts suddenly yeah. on the internet. 
who you've read some articles, you read a book or two, that's good. You should read. Um, but, but there's a lot of information out there along with the good information that can be super confusing. Like, wait a minute. I always thought that I was super organized because, you know, when I was 19, I joined the army and you just had to be organized. And so I just adapted. But now you're telling me that's a trauma response. Mm. So, so that's yeah, where yeah. a lot of where everything is trauma and trauma is so in our vernacular now. Right. And, you know, there, there's some good stuff there. There's some good reasons. I'll say this too. And I, I say this in a lot of my trainings I do for pastors and first responders. I work with a, a group that, that works with first responders here and try to do some stuff with, with churches and ministries. But um, understand that trauma itself is ubiquitous. All of us at some point in time in our life are going to go through something, a major illness or injury, the death of a loved one. Yeah, um, It could be abuse. It could be the vicarious trauma that you pick up from being someone like a first responder or a pastor where you sit with everybody else's trauma all day. Like there are trainings for us as trauma providers to learn how to deal with the impact it has on you. Hmm. Over the pandemic, I started doing some trainings in 2020 because I was like, oh, wait a minute. There's another group that <laughs> that happens to all the time, right? All of us will go through something traumatic. Not all of us will be equally traumatized. Right, right. Well, that's the question that I had, right? One, I have a bunch of the questions. And one of them is, because I've experienced this on both ends of the spectrum, right? Um, and actually, it was uh, it was David Murray. I don't know if you know who David Murray is. He wrote Christians mm -hmm. Get Depressed Too. Um, brilliant theologian, reformed, old school, Scottish, blood in his hair. Like, you know, well, he's a gentleman. He doesn't have blood, but he's Scottish. So I imagine him with blood in his hair. Anyway, um, uh, was the was a professor at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. He helped me through my mental breakdown back in 2011. One of the things that he helped me to, to uh, begin to address was uh, that there are and I, he didn't call them trauma, and I don't think that it's trauma, but um, but maybe it is. But uh, but what he was showing me was like there are things in your life that you are not accounting for as burdens, as hardships, as afflictions, and and I'm like, well, no, because he would say like this, like taking care of your mother and your father in their state. 24 7 that's a burden and i was like it's not a burden it's just the way it is gotta take care of family it's what we do boom 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 and he's like no man that, that fine all that's fine <laughs> but it's a burden that is going to wear you down if you don't recognize it for what it is and so i'm thinking about this trauma issue and on yeah. one end of the spectrum there are people that have experienced trauma but aren't recognizing it and then yeah. aren't there people on the other end who are saying that they've been traumatized but they're just being big babies and i know that that's super insensitive but I'm asking, so I'm asking the question because that's how I think. Like some people are being big babies and some people, you know, is, is there a spectrum or am I just completely an insensitive jerk? So, well, Joe, you are an insensitive jerk. I figured. And, and the year that Joe had his, his breakdown was the year I got saved. Uh, so there was, there Look was at balance that. that year. I swear. That's right? good. I don't know what you were there, but whatever. Um, no, but okay. So are, are like, are there people who, and I'm going to tweak your language a little bit, Joe, because sure. this, and, and I don't want to go too far into the weeds because this topic we could do an entire talk episode right. on when we talk about people's relationship to their diagnoses. Okay. I've had people come in diagnosis in hand. I can imagine. To me. I, and like, I want to say, please don't confuse your Google search right. with 
with my two college degrees. Like, yeah. don't, what? No, um, I don't, obviously. But a person's relationship to the thing that they're using to explain themselves and their experience is very important. Mm. Whether that's a personality test, whether that, and I'm not hating on personality tests. If it's useful, if it's a useful tool for you, it's a useful tool. Right. Right. Um, whether it's, you know, uh, relating styles and understanding things like love languages, whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's a label like trauma or something like codependency, right, that may or may not itself be a diagnosis, but it's a label we can grab onto. It's a handle. And I would say that I think there are people who want an explanation for their experience. And if what we're going to are all the experts that are now out there. And when it, I mean, it was not mindfulness for a while. Now it's, it's trauma. It'll be something else in a couple of years. Trust me. Right. Um, but when we have that label, it can actually keep us from doing deeper work, mm. um, both therapeutically and theologically. It can keep us from doing deeper work because we got the quick answer and went, okay, that's my thing. That's this. That's right. what I need in order to understand myself and my experience. Mm. So there is that. Yeah. There are also people who have trauma histories that they haven't been addressing because they view themselves as functional mm -hmm. and they went and, and saw a therapist who was trauma-informed and was like, no, that's not normal. Uh, I literally had a client one time who told me he had no trauma history and a couple sessions in was describing the time he went to go buy beer at age 18 and accidentally got kidnapped because he got in the wrong car and was on a high-speed like police chase. And I was like, mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> But but his relationship to trauma, like you were saying, that's really helpful for me. Like a, you know, you're the the way trauma impacts you is going to be different from person to person, yeah. and so it's not, it's not just the event, right? I mean, I've I've talked about this with my wife before, because um, uh -huh. we're pretty we're rather stoic. That that doesn't mean we're healthy uh, at all, but we're we tend to be rather stoic and and steady at least externally, um, and but we've described it like uh, if we're riding in a car. Uh, well, I'll, I'll make up a friend's name, um, Billy Bob. Uh, and if we're riding in a car with Billy Bob and we hit the same pothole, uh, Jen and I are like, hit a pothole. Uh, Billy Bob thought we almost crashed the car. It's the same, you know, it's the same event, but his right. perception of it, and he, he's not lying. He's not embellishing like some people would, but Billy Bob's not. That's actually how it felt to him. And so I get mm -hmm. that people are going to interact with trauma differently based on a whole host of things that I'm sure are way beyond my pay grade. But this, this tra the trauma talk, I, I think, is good because I'm all about health and human flourishing and applying you know, truth to everybody. But I keep seeing trauma discussion come up online, and, uh, and I see Christians talking about it. And then I see some Christians um, who – okay, I'm just going to – um, let me restart. I see some Christians. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be like you. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> You're doing great. Um, who are big babies? No, I see. I see some of these guys who are saying things along the lines of like, "I don't. We don't need trauma informed counselors." They, I think I've literally seen that. We don't need. We need biblically informed mm -hmm. counselors, as if they're mutually exclusive. I mean, it's just. It's such overly simplistic, silly thinking. What What is the resistance? Why are people resistant, Christians who should know better in my estimation, who are theologically oriented, at least to some degree, they certainly think they are, why, why, is there be, why, 
why are you experiencing pushback? And if so, why? Oh, oh gosh. All right. So, uh, um, I'll, I'll say this when it comes to biblical counseling and understanding, uh, some of the discussion we have biblical counseling, biblically informed care, uh, and kind of the clinically informed world. It's really important for us to know that we're having the same conversation. Mm. Um, I was once listening to the keynote speaker of a major biblical counseling organization who was opening up his talk. And he said, he, he basically defined counseling as imparting wisdom. And I was like, and my first thought was, that's not what I do at all as a mm. clinical mental health counselor. In fact, my, my, unless I have an informed consent to do Christian counseling or biblical counseling, I'm not allowed to give you guidance. Right. I'm, I'm supposed to be avoiding that. Um, and my second thought was I had a light bulb. Was I was like, oh, that's why we disagree. We're, we're not talking about the same thing. Um, and, and I think there's, a, there's a, a question, maybe a discussion under that discussion about whether we need biblical counseling, you need, do you need a trauma therapist, do you need clinical? And, and that is, what help do I need and what does health look like? Yeah. And, and tweeting in all caps is faster and gets more attention sure. than having that particular conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say the masses don't want to have a sustained, thoughtful conversation. They, they want to giggle, chuckle, or rage and, yeah. uh, and move on. So I, I get that. So are you saying that because this, I mean, because like this is how we function at our church. Mm-hmm. In our church, we have uh, biblical counselors, we have um, uh, licensed professional counselors, and we have the CCEF counselor, right? Mm-hmm. Which, um, so they're not the same as the biblical counselor, but they're they're closer to that than they. But they're, I think they're they seem to be closer but they, but then they they both disagree with them with each other not these two particular people i just mean in general so anyways right. i will recommend one person uh I, I might recommend one of those three people um to somebody because they're best suited for the particular problem as best as i can understand it and then there are other times where i'm like well i would never recommend this person go to see one of those or or two of those they, they have to go see krista Right. And that would right. be, that would be my line of thinking, depending on what the need is. Do, right. do you see it like that? Like there's a place for all of these people or is it, is it even more complicated than that? There's absolutely a place for all these people. So when I was teaching, so for a little while I was teaching uh, all the, the counseling and, and psychology classes at this prison ministry near where I am, <coughs> a seminary <clears throat> that I, I attended needed to set aside, um, like kind of set up. And my working definition in intro to biblical counseling of what biblical counseling is, is scripture and its truths applied to the human experience. In the broadest, most general mm-hmm. inclusive sense, scripture and its truths apply to the human experience. Does that have a place in discipleship? Duh. Yeah. Does it have a place in uh, lay counseling ministries? Does it have a place in mental health care? If you are a Christian who is licensed in the mental health care system, yeah. Yeah, it does. And I'm so... Full disclosure, right? I'm also, I'm a level one certified biblical counselors through ABC, the Association of Biblical Counselors and uh, trained at the Gospel Care Collective, and I'm going through level two. Um, I, all of these levels and types of care are, are helpful and necessary within 
the scope of their own practice. Mm. Right. Um, but just like I would like, I, I get a little gun shy when people start asking me about medications, because even though I'm somewhat familiar with what most psychiatric medications do, like I am not a psychiatrist. Right. I can't, I, I, I don't, that's out of my scope of practice. I can refer you to a psychiatrist. Um, same sort of thing. You know, when we're working with an issue where they're not a ton of clinical or physiological considerations, it doesn't seem like, you know, well, you know, so there's a lot of trauma responses, flashbacks happening where, where it's something maybe relational, emotional, that could be relational in terms of other people, relational in terms of me and God, relational in terms of how I'm relating to myself. Hmm. Clinical care may or may not be necessary. Right. Uh, you know, there are seasons when I've gone and what I need is actually somebody to work through how I'm making sense of myself and my situation right now. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something we can do with a biblical counselor, probably even a little bit better because you're going to be on the same page as me theologically and, and have a sense or be able, you're not going to have the apprehension that some therapists out there might have of, I don't want to impose my own values or I feel uncomfortable thinking about religion or whatever. So, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's, that's, that's helpful. That's helpful. I I was just talking with a, with a a young person who's going through some stuff and, um, and he's emerging out of a particular situation. And as we were talking, I was just trying to encourage him that like, you're going to have to learn to be you in this new world now. And like, like that's, it takes time to learn to be you because you were, you were, you were you in this situation and you're still you, but I mean like, but the healthiest version of yourself like that, that just takes time. And, you know, um, I just, I just started to think about like, well, what, you know, what kind of counseling would, would help this person. And I, I can think of like, in, in this particular case, I could think of, well, he needs, he needs some biblical counsel. Um, mm-hmm. and he can get that from, I mean, I'm not a biblical counselor, but, um, he could get that from me or from, or from somebody else in the church. He can go, he can go to a biblical counselor, but I could also see the value of, um, of him seeing you know, a licensed professional counselor. And this, this was, this was what actually uh, occurred to me, um, while you were talking. So you are, it's not, you're not called licensed professional counselor in your state. It's called something else, but yeah, it, it's the same license. It's the same license. Okay. But, but yeah, it's just so called something different. So you've got that. But you're also um, ACBC, ABC, ABC, ACBC, I don't think has clinicians among their, their numbers. Okay. They they a little bit more apprehensive about. Yeah, that's okay. So, so yeah, there are definitely like, uh, like different tribes within each of these fields. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but like, I still don't hear a lot of that, like a biblical counselor who's also, you know, a a clinician or whatever is, is, is that. is that more? There's you might more? be surprised. Okay. Yeah, there there are. I actually. So when I was starting my private practice, the guy who he's at the Gospel Care Collective, Jason Kovacs, who kind of became like a mentor of mine, he's a friend. I I know um, him. I, I mean, I don't know him personally, but like we've interacted. Yeah. 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 So Jason was like, and there was some interaction we were having online. He was like, "You should check out ABC. They're actually very clinician friendly." Oh. And I was like, "Oh, there are actually a lot of people with licenses like mine." who are also getting theological training because we've got this level of clinical training, which is good. But if you want to do solid Christian counseling, you can't have master's degree level clinical training and like Sunday school level theological. Training. Right, right, right. That can't be a thing. Yeah. You know, 
Um, so they're actually, they're, there's an emerging number of us that's who are cool. like, I need to be strong in both worlds. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I think that's really cool. Okay. So one of the things that I did want to talk to you about um, mm -hmm. is uh, the discussion of trauma and the SBC. Um, mm -hmm. Southern Baptist Convention, you know, and, and I don't even know where this is going to go. I just want to know, like, what are you thinking about when you think about the Southern Baptist Convention and trauma in light of uh, the sexual abuse, you know, denials and the reporting and the non-reporting and, you know, the the investigation, everything that's going on, SBC, even if, our, even if half of our listeners aren't Southern Baptist, they kind of know what's going on to some degree because yeah. they, they, there's so much chatter. What is going on in the Southern Baptist Convention as it relates to trauma? Like, help people make sense of maybe what they're starting to see or hear. Yeah. So, on a broad, a broad scale, a couple things are happening. Okay. And and one of those, in the backdrop of so many other things, as we look at the church in America, is the unhitching of civil religion from kind of our social institutions. And, and Christianity, that relationship is disappearing. Hmm. If not really, some would say already gone. But the people in the pews have not always caught up to that level, right? Are right. not always tracking how much, or it feels very abrupt. So this is happening in the background. The SBC itself is really in a season of reckoning um, with abuse in particular, the way that we've mishandled it, um, the the ways that even for a lot of folks who aren't wolves, because there are wolves, there are yeah. absolutely wolves. There are people who need to have their names removed from buildings yep. and from like, nope, you, you have disqualified yourself who have abused, who've covered up abuse. There are, there are a lot of people who have been pastoring the best they could, discipling the best they could, doing the best they could and don't really like are, are now kind of entering this moment where they're realizing they've got some stuff wrong. Mm -hmm. And more and more, I'm finding myself engaging with those people and trying to make it comfortable for them to explore the possibility that like, you know, you know, people tend to not like make up stories about abuse. They tend to make up stories about their marriages being fine. Is honestly yeah, what happens. Right. They tend to make up stories about their up upbringings being spectacular. Um, and and so when we hear these stories emerging, and it feels so dissonant with our Sunday Wednesday experience of like, well, no, I I, I see you every week. Yeah. Like, what, you mean that was going on behind closed? No, no, Pastor who? Yeah. Like, no, right. Um, and so socially, there's a lot of dissonance happening right now. There's a lot of stuff coming out. The fact that we can share information as quickly and broadly as we can um, is expediting that process. Um, and the fact that um, the fact that there's this snowball effect when people start coming out, and it's just it it's just a reality socially. When there's this experience that a large percent of the population is stuffing down or hiding or pretending doesn't exist, as more and more people start to step out and be like, I mean, this was the Me Too movement, right? Was yeah. like, actually, the more people feel emboldened to be like, actually, and, and it can be a lot if you're Joe in the pews to 
take on all at once. Yeah, I can see, I can, I can see it. And I've even tried to, um, I was talking to somebody about the whole MacArthur situation and uh, what's gone on at their church. And uh, so I was, and anybody who listens to the podcast knows that, uh, you know, I, I, we don't really defend MacArthur. Um, we don't burn him an effigy either. Um, but the best sense that we can make of the situation is, is that they really screwed up back back in the 80s or whenever that was when this whole thing went down with yeah the the abuse situation and all that yeah and you know i i just I, i'm confused as to why it's so hard to say for for them to say hey you know what we got that wrong um we're and admittedly not as an excuse but like Back then, nobody was talking about it. Nobody was t- training pastors and churches on how to deal with this stuff. And so that doesn't excuse it. That's just what we were coming out of. And we mishandled it. Yep. We could have done better. We should have done better. But like, I, it's, it's, I, I can see that it's really hard for some churches to just be honest about like what has happened or what's transpired or where they need to grow and learn. And, and I, but I've seen others actually make that shift. Like, you know, and maybe it has something to do with, uh, I'm not trying to be hateful here, um, but maybe it has something to do with it. Maybe it's, it's harder when the platform is that big, when, when you are a brand, you know, for all the talk of, you know, Mark Driscoll being a brand, John MacArthur is a brand. That is a brand. Yeah. Got his name in the Bible. He's a brand. So (laughs) I can, I can, I can say like that. I can imagine. And again, that's not me hating on, that's me trying to understand. Like I can see how hard it would be uh, to deal with that. How do you help people? Like actually, how how do you help people like that? Because like I, yeah. a lot of people just want to go like, oh, they're never nobody. They're not going to change, and they just right. How how do you what do you do to try to move the needle in uh, in their hearts on these issues? So I, I mean, really, the that depends on my relationship with them. You know, um, like if it's a, a pastor I've got a relationship with, if it's someone that like we can sit down and talk and talk at least about semi hard things. Um, and, and, you know, maybe kind of discuss some of what they feel is an, uh, the implication of like, hey, if I say I'm wrong here, what will that mean? Yeah. Right. Is that a snowball of the people who've been following my teaching will begin to question everything I've ever said? Yeah. Um, and they need a safe place to actually ask that question, right? Like yeah, they actually yeah. need, to, <laughs> it's funny. We're talking about this guy needing a safe space, but like they would, right? Anybody mm-hmm. would need to, you absolutely do. just to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and, and there is a little bit too of when my, when, when my authority as the person applying the word of God to the human experience it's so intermixed with the authority of God's inerrant. Right. Right. Then for me to say that I was wrong and misapplied that, right, might be to question mm-hmm. whether scripture itself was sufficient to speak to that situation yeah. where really what happened was I misapplied scripture or maybe I just, I honestly had some hopes that like if I just apply some biblical principles to this really awful family situation happening that God will do what we hope, right? And if you're in ministry that God does yeah, bring dead things to life, like that's what we want. Um, and, and so I, I can understand how somebody gets really 
gun shy about saying, okay, you know what? We got that wrong and we got it really wrong. And you're right. There's a part of it. That's the brand too. There's absolutely part of it. This brand. Hmm. So when, um, when we're talking about the SBC and, you know, the SBC executive committee, um, all, all the stuff that's going on, these, there's a lot of stories, um, that are painful and, um, do you have hope? Like when you're looking at what's happening in the SBC, are you more hopeful or are you more doubtful? Are you waiting to see? I'm. Sad, relieved, overwhelmed, and hopeful. Hmm. I'm I'm sad because like I sit with people who have those stories. Yeah. Um, thing about being the trauma guy in a Christian counseling practice in your local community is, you know, I mean, I mentioned earlier, right? Like, like veterans and stuff and I, but you get a lot of people who, I mean, this, this is their story and, and you know that it's happening and it's currently happening. Mm. Um, and, and it, it does break your heart. Um, you know, and it's. I can see and have a sense of God's providential work in bringing about justice in, in, in bring up something that we've needed to address for a long time and now have the opportunity to bring healing into. Um, and, and there's a sense there of relief of like, and I know that oftentimes, you know, we, we talk about things like revival. We talk about things like, God stirring a great work in our church. Sometimes God doing a really beautiful thing looks ugly, especially on the front end. Yeah, true. And sometimes it means opening our eyes to stuff that's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'm overwhelmed. I'm I'm keenly aware of the fact. I had thought when I was active duty that I was going toward pastoral ministry. Um, I was actually, uh, full disclosure, since we're, we're naming it, a full-on Mark Driscoll agent. <laughs> like, that was my, right, what I wanted to be. Ended up providentially in mental health care. Happened to end up having a professor who got me into somatic work about five, six years before it started to get popular. And then ended up as a Christian counselor in the Southern Baptist Convention with a trauma background. Like, I have to weekly remind myself that it is not my job to heal the triangle. Yeah. You know, because what you look around, I mean, a lot of us in our profession the last couple of years have gotten really burned out. Yeah. It is overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, right? It, it, and this is why, this is probably the, the biggest anchor for my soul in, in God's sovereignty is to know that it's okay for me to panic and be outraged and have all the big feelings and to be losing my mind because I can hold on to zero emergencies have ever happened in the throne room of, of yeah, heaven. Yeah. It's never happened. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I mean, it really, I mean, I can, I can imagine, uh, and I've talked to counselors like, you know, what it's like to counsel someone, uh, you know, clinically and not have the freedom, you know, in that mm-hmm. particular, in, in a particular situation where you, you would really like to say more in certain situations, mm-hmm. um, but you're still serving them because we they're, they're we're, we're these psychosomatic beings, right? And so mm-hmm. we've got all these different levels at which we need health and healing. And so I can imagine that there's a burden that you have, but even with 
even when the even when you have the burden and you can't necessarily get to maybe the gospel, for example, um, mm-hmm. your theology still comforts you because you know, like, th- you're doing pre- preparatory work <laughs> with them oh, yeah. to hear the gospel, and that God is sovereign in all of these things. He's orchestrating these events to do to do something great. So I, I, I just I think I would really have a hard. I think I know that I would struggle a lot more uh, if if I was disconnected from theology. Yeah, I so. Cool story. When I was in graduate school, I was doing, you have to do uh, like 100 hours in your practicum and 600 hours in your, over a couple of in, semesters, not all at once, uh, over in your internship. And I was at this small community counseling center. Now, when you're a Christian counselor, you can have this thing called an informed consent where you sign and I sign it. And we can talk about the gospel and theological things and pray and use scripture in session. But I didn't have that. And there was this woman who came in. Uh, I mean, she was working through some anxiety. And uh, she was telling me over the course of our counseling about how she'd been beginning to attend church and she was wrestling. She was in a small group. She was wrestling with some of what she heard. They were working through the book of James and I prayed for this woman weekly. I'm I'm not going to say daily. I probably didn't pray for her daily, but I was praying for this woman weekly. I couldn't share anything about my faith, but I could help her explore how she was seeing her spiritual as I might frame that, right. interacting with her anxiety, ran into her two years ago? Was it last year? It might have No, it was last year at a birthday party for my son um, who, like, she had her kid was there too kind of thing. And she was like, oh, hey, it's my old counselor. Oh, hey, it's Dave. And I was like, oh, by the way, I'm a believer. I was praying for you the whole time you were <laughs> over at this counselor. She was like, what? Uh, I mean, it happens. Yeah, right? that's cool. I like how... Yeah, it's just it's it's always encouraging to see the way that you know God orchestrates these events, um, even even our struggles and hardships. Man, I want you to come back on the podcast because I want to talk about more stuff. I want to get into some yeah. issues with you. Um, you know, I and mean, maybe I don't know that we'll have time, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, I hear you're into like Christian fitness. Is that right? You like Christian fitness? Like a Christian, it's like a Christian fitness program? Cross, CrossFit? Yeah, that's what, that's, that sounds a, like a Christian thing. Is that a Christian thing? We'll, we'll talk about CrossFit and uh, we covered deadheads today. So. Okay, all right. So I'm not, it sounds very Christian. I don't know. Is it yeah. like a Christic manhood sort of fitness? Oh my. Is it? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, okay. we will definitely we'll definitely need to do this again. <laughs> I uh, I don't want to corrupt you. You're such a you're such a kind person, um, and not uh, you know like me. So uh, I'll try not to lead you in a in a bad direction where you're making too much fun of people. Uh, I will I will I will do it, but I will try to I will try to let you stay in your lane. You can be polite and professional, and I will be sarcastic. <laughs> and annoying um listen guys uh if you enjoy doctrine and devotion we're so glad that you listen and we hope that you will tell a friend uh you can follow us on our socials at doc and devo uh instagram and twitter and you can follow uh david hughes it's at dave evan hughes uh we'll link to that in the show notes so you can uh chop it up with him online he'll he'll engage right love to talk with him yeah he'll do it tell a friend and uh listen if you want to support the podcast 
Um, not only can you subscribe uh, on iTunes or whatever you like to listen to us, us on, but you can actually support the podcast by becoming a member of All Access. All Access gives you theological reflections Monday through Friday and a special podcast called Banter of Truth, normally with me and Jimmy. Sometimes when Jimmy can't make it, somebody else has to step in on that one as well. But uh, it's a good time. That allows us to do more and more of what we're trying to do here for you all. Thanks for listening, guys, and God bless. Thank you.